Thanks for downloading this podcast from Pardes North America. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Alex Israel on the holiday of Sukkot. And now, here is Rabbi Alex Israel. Ah, Sukkot, Zaman Simchatenu, the time of our rejoicing. We leave Yom Kippur and the sanctity of Yom Kippur. And I know that for myself, after I break the fast, the first thing I do is go out with my children, take out all of my tools, and we start building the Sukkah. Such a wonderful way to go, as the rabbis say, from mitzvah to mitzvah and to build the Sukkah. But of course, what is the notion of a Sukkah? And why is Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, a time of joy? After all, um, our houses are very, very comfortable. We go outside our house, into the cold, into the wind, into into a hut, for goodness sake. And that's meant to be joyous. It doesn't even protect us from the rain. If it rains, it comes in through the roof. What's going on here? How is Sukkot, Zman Simchatenu, the time of our rejoicing? So I think it's time for a story. And here I'll tell a Yiddish folk tale, which has been told by many. And the story is about a poor man who lived with his wife and several children in a very small house, a house which maybe was even only a single room. And they're always getting on each other's nerves and getting in each other's way. There's no space for them to even move around. And the man can't stand it any more. He complains to his wife. And what does she say? Go see the rabbi. She'll, he'll solve it. The rabbi greets him and says, something's troubling you. Tell me what it is. And he tells him that they live in this small house and they've got no money and they've got kids and they're always bumping into each other. It's so hard. So the rabbi says, if I tell you to do something, will you will you do it? Will you do it exactly? Do you promise? And he says, sure. And the man says to the, the rabbi says to the man, well, I'll ask you a question. Do you own any animals? And he says, sure. I have one cow, one goat and some chickens. And good, said the rabbi. When you get home, take the chickens into your house. And the man was a little astonished to hear the advice, but he promised to do what he said. He takes the chickens into his house. Next, after a few days, and now it's the husband, the wife, the kids and the chickens, he goes back to the rabbi and says, this is terrible. The rabbi says, you promised you'd listen. Take the goat into your house. And indeed, that is what he does. Comes back a few days days later at his wit's end. And the man says, take the cow into your house. Three hours later, the man is running back to the rabbi and says, you must have made a mistake. We, we, we simply can't live like this. The smell is awful. We can't stand it. And the rabbi said, okay, okay. Take all the animals out of the house, clean it out, and come see me in another day's time. And when the man comes back, he says to the rabbi, the rabbi says, how's it going? And he says, my goodness, we have so much room. We don't have a cow. We don't have a goat. We don't have chickens. It's clean in here. What a joy. We've got so much room and the house is so quiet. In other words, the question is one of perspective. And... 
Some years ago, I mentioned how I go and take out my sukkah straight after Yom Kippur and build the sukkah uh, that very evening. But I remember, see, here in Israel, we're very, very fortunate. The weather, the climate is really perfect for Sukkot. And in our house, we, in fact, really spend the whole week in the sukkah. We eat in the sukkah every single meal. We take out a couch into the sukkah. We take our laptops into the sukkah. And we, we that's where we read. That's where we entertain our guests. In fact, we even have a mirpeset, a... A balcony upstairs and we make a small sukkah there and there we pile in some mattresses and that's where we sleep at night so we eat in the sukkah we sleep in the sukkah we you know watch a movie or, or, or surf the internet in the sukkah that's our house and then after we've done that for an entire week it's almost like a social engineering project it's almost like creating a new virtual reality right um we pack it all away. And we pack away all these boards and I stack them into my machsan, into my storeroom in my house. And I say, my goodness, did we live in this all week? Did we did we live in this all week? We just lived in a few boards. Why do I need this this large house with five bedrooms and with, a, you know, two living rooms? What do I need it for? We were perfectly happy, Right. We are perfectly happy just in the hut. And it's almost like that, that, that story, that story about the goats and the, the chickens. and What do we need? In this regard, Sukkot is very much a pushback, a counterbalance, a, a, a sort of like a tonic, a, a remedy. For our materialistic age, our society, we, we fill our houses with so much. We have every board game so the kids will be entertained. We buy books on Amazon as if we've got tons of library room. We've got, you know, just so much, so many creature comforts. Do we really need all these things? And uh, never mind the ecological price of them and what have you. And in that regard, Sukkot seems to be a sense of going back to basics. It's, it's almost living in a sort of... Uh, you know, a, a Spartan, a sort of like very, very modest environment. And you might say to me, well, how is that Zman Simchatenu? Why is that the time of our joy? But let's maybe try and, and put this in a wider context. The reason why Sukkot is the time of our joy is not because of the Sukkah. It's in fact because it was the time of the ingathering. In terms of the Jewish year, um, it's interesting, when should the year begin, when should the year end, maybe the year should begin and end in the springtime, when everything starts sprouting and the buds come out on the tree. And But in fact, we say that this time of year is the Rosh Hashanah, it is the beginning of the year, and in fact, it's the end of the year. Why? Because it is the end of the agricultural cycle. You see, what happens in, let's say, in Israel, it doesn't really rain too much over the summer, it doesn't really rain at all. And as we go into sort of October, November, uh, we're anticipating the rain. And that's why the last thing we do on our Sukkot holiday is to, to, to pray for rain, Tfilat Geshem. And so what happens immediately after Sukkot is that the, in, not this year because it's a Shemitah year, but in a regular year, the farmer will plough his field, will sow the field with wheat and wait and wait for the rain and pray for the rain. The rain will fall throughout the winter. 
And uh, suddenly, by the time it gets to, to March, April, Passover time, the barley harvest. And he harvests that. That's barley is mostly food for, uh, food for animals. And then around Shavuot time, sometime in, in May, we have the wheat harvest. And he packs that, to, to, you know, harvests that, puts it in sacks, puts it in his barn. Over the summer, all the fruits get ripe. In fact, around this time of year, this is when we're just do- finishing the wine harvest, the grape harvest. So we've got wine and raisins. We've got all the nuts from the trees. And we've got, this is the time when the pomegranates and the figs and the dates ripen. And last of all is the is the olive oil, which ripens literally at Sukkot, the olive and uh, once you press that, you've got fuel, you've got uh, oil for the winter. In other words, when we get to Sukkot, why is it such a time of joy? Because the farmer knows he's wealthy. If it's been a decent year, the farmer has his barn stock full to last for the entire winter. It's full of everything. He feels like, wow, I've worked so hard this year. Look what I have. I'm really wealthy. Um... And this is just fabulous. And he gets all his family together and they want to rejoice with all the goodness that God has given them. And that they do. But you know what God says at that moment? He says, leave your concrete houses, leave your brick houses, go out and don't be drunken with materialism. Don't be intoxicated with everything that you have achieved. Realize that not everything in your, not every, your house is not everything it's cracked up to be. And that there is something, um, there's always a, a crack in our lives. There's always a vulnerability in our lives. And we shouldn't get um, feeling so secure that we control everything in our existence, neither our economic existence, nor things like, as we've been so rudely uh, awoken uh, in these last year and a half, not our health and not a sense of a, a global pandemic, our our ability to be able to plan things has been severely, you know, given a dose of humble pie. Here I want to take Sukkot. So, so what I'm saying is on the one hand, there's tremendous joy around, but there's an antidote to this joy and there's a danger in, in all this wealth and all of this um, human achievement. And it's that we start putting ourselves at the centre of everything. And therefore, what Sukkot invites us to do is to go back to a sense of simplicity, to go back to something very, very modest, to leave our, our, our rich and lush and very plush houses and to go back to a simple living and to say, you know what I really need? I just need a hut. <laughs> I just need two and a half walls, <laughs> a little bit of protection. Um, live simply for a week and maybe you'll find that simplicity that frugal living uh, has a charm to it has a has something very very special about it and that might act as sort of an antidote to to the materialism at the time so that's sort of the first approach the first direction I'd like to go in but there's a second direction which I'd like to talk about too and here, the symbolism of the sukkah goes in a in a phenomenally different direction. And this is going to go into the direction of the temple. Yes, the temple. You're going to say to me, how is the temple in any way connected to the sukkah? One really interesting area 
where we might answer that there is a connection, is in fact in the word Sukkah itself. One of the most famous uh, bits of our liturgy for Sukkot is the Harachaman, the Harachaman that we say in Birchat Amazon, where we use a phrase from the book of Amos, we say, Harachamanu yakim lanu et Sukkot David hanofelet. Uh, may God the Merciful uh, re-establish David's broken, David's, David's fallen Sukkah. What Sukkah did David have? And how did it fall? And the answer is, David's Sukkah is in fact a metaphor for the Beit HaMikdash. And the Beit HaMikdash is called a Sukkah, the temple is called a Sukkah. We find that, by the way, also in the psalm that we've been saying throughout Elul, uh, all the way till the end of Sukkot. It's Psalm 27, Ledavid Hashem Orivi And we say, one thing I ask from God, let me sit in the house of God, let me visit, let me visit his temple, his sanctuary. And then we say, the very next line, which means that God hides me in his sukkah on a day of trouble. And in the very next verse, he will hide me in the, he will give me protection in the inner recesses of his tent. So if you put this together, God's house, God's sanctuary, his bayit and his heichal, and his ohel, because we talk about ohel mo'ed, a tent of meeting, is in fact called a sukkah. This, this interesting sense. Now, the, even the verb sukkah comes from the root sakach. And here, once again, we have a, a very interesting connection because the Talmud, some of you might have studied Daf Yomi recently. Um, and Daf Yomi, we just, the, the daily Talmud page, just studied Tractate Sukkah. So we've been learning about Sukkah, and when you read that, you read all sorts of really fascinating uh, connections between the Sukkah and the Temple. For example, the minimal height of a Sukkah is 10 handbreadths, 10 tfachim. Where do we learn that from? And we learn it from the Ark, because the Ark is in fact tent fachim high and what's on the top of the ark are cherubs and the cherubs um have their their wings outstretched what's the phrase they are that's sakach that's the word for schach the cover of the sukkah so if you want to think about it this way it's almost like the cherubs creating a canopy with their wings is the same as the schach the cover the very very flimsy cover made out of um, material which has grown, which forms the roof of our sukkah. And maybe now we understand the tradition that in fact we didn't sit in Sukkot Mamash, we didn't sit in booths, but in fact it was clouds of glory because what's really protecting us is God. Um, all sorts of other um, aspects of the sukkah are derived from the, um, from the Beit HaMikdash, so a great a, a great another analogy here is um, the idea that you have to. The question is, we're told by the Torah, sit in the sukkah for seven days, and the Talmud wants to know: is it seven days or is it seven days and seven nights? In other words, some mitzvahs only apply during the day, and uh, some apply twenty-four hours a day. Which one is which? And they say, well, really interesting because when they inaugurated the temple or the Mishkan. The Mishkan, which was a tent, it says to the, the priests had to, Yamim. 
With the sukkah it says, sit in the sukkah for seven days. And here the priests were told, sit in the sanctuary for seven days. But what were they told? Sit there, your mom, Malayla. So, <laughs> since they had to reside in the temple for seven days, day and night, we learn from that, that sukkah applies not only in daytime, but also in nighttime. Moreover, the first temple, the Temple of Solomon, was dedicated... Yes, you guessed it. When was it dedicated? It was dedicated on Chag HaSukkot, on the festival of Sukkot. And therefore, there are enormous, and I've only mentioned a fraction of them, enormous number of connections between the notion of Sukkah and the notion of Temple. Now, where are we going with all of this? And I think it's it sort of will go back to that Psalm 27. The sense is, before I suggested that we are leaving our homes and we are allowing ourselves to enter into a flimsy structure as a sort of counterbalance to materialism, counterbalance to the wealth of the harvest season, um, that we shouldn't re- feel, as it says in Tvarim, Deuteronomy chapter 8, It's all me, it's all my strength, it's all my achievement. We should realise that, you know, we've had a good year, we've got what to thank God for, but... Uh, we're not, you know, superhuman. We're not the masters of the universe. Uh, there's a, a lot of ways in which we're vulnerable. But if we're so vulnerable, where do we get our protection? And here, what do we say? The going into the sukkah is actually going into the temple. Going in the tsuk- into the sukkah is, number one, having a meeting with God, because the temple is a tent of meeting. And so therefore we expect to somehow meet God in the temple, meet God in the sukkah. And moreover, the sukkah is a place where we rely on God's protection. And of course we rely on God's protection because if it rains, right, then we won't be able to be there. We we sort of hope that it won't rain during Sukkot and we consider it to be a bad omen if it does. Uh, certainly here in Israel I'm talking about. Uh, when I lived in England, it rained every single day in the sukkah, and we barely were able to even eat a meal there. Um, so I don't think I'm going to judge it by the London weather. But here in Israel, we do get a few drops frequently on Sukkot, um, here in the Judean hills. But uh, to be rained out of the sukkah is unusual. Uh, we feel we're under God's protection. Now, how do these two ideas sort of like merge? And I think I think it's a very, very interesting one because we are, we live in a very technological age. You know, it's difficult in today's age to believe in God. You know, once upon a time where you didn't have medicine, where you didn't know very much about science. So you lived in a sort of scary, frightening world. You didn't know what was going on if you got sick. Um, And what did you do? You went to pray. If the rain wasn't falling, you went to pray. If, you know, whatever it might be, we had little knowledge and little control and therefore we relied very strongly on God. But today, when something's wrong, you go to the doctor, he checks you out, you can go for a scan. We have so many ways of investigating what's going on inside our bodies. We feel in control. And as I said, uh, if I take the medical example in particular, we have just experienced uh, this corona year, this COVID year, where we've learned that a you know a virus can really wreak havoc with our whole world, our economy, our travel, our home environments, our socialising, 
wow, we are quite vulnerable. And suddenly we say, so where will we take protection? And that takes us right back to the, the Psalm 27. The David Hashem Orivi Yishit, God is my light, God is my salvation. I won't fear because God is going to look after me. So <laughs> when we are at our height of our hubris, when the farmer feels he's really got everything, he goes out to a hut and he says, you know what? Number one, um, I can't do everything myself. Uh, I'm going to live a very simple existence and I'm going to realize that not everything is my achievements. But if it's not all my achievements, do I throw it to chance? Is it, you know, what gives me my fortitude? What gives me my strength? And now we reimagine the sukkah. You know, in, 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 in ancient times, the classic place uh, to take the lulav was uh, people used to flock to Jerusalem and take their arba minim, their lulav and etrog, in the temple. And in fact, there is a uh, Kabbalistic minhag, a Kabbalistic practice, to actually shake the lulav in the morning inside the sukkah. Because if the sukkah represents the temple, then we are sort of recreating our ancient traditions by taking the sukkah in, taking the, the arba minim, the four species, we're taking to actually say the blessing and uh, and shake them in the sukkah. That's a, that's a very, very special thing. So what we're really doing in our sukkah is it's on one hand turning down the volume on our hubris, but it's also turning up the volume in terms of our sense of reliance on God in the sense that we are actually seeking God. We're seeking a relationship with God. We're seeking to find space in which we can bring God into our lives, in which we can hear the divine voice listening. And sometimes in order to make that space, to be able to hear the, as Heschel would call it, the God in search of man, to be able to hear uh, the voice of God talking through through reality, talking through our lives, we sometimes have to, you know, lower the, the human noise. You know, we're so distracted today with our cell phones, it's difficult to concentrate. I think the, the corollary of that is is indeed in this this idea that sometimes we have to tone down our control of our environment and go out to the sukkah in order to allow ourselves to be exposed, to expose ourselves in some way to God. So if we can put all those ideas together, I think it really is a zman simchatenu because we're less self-focused and we're more God-focused. And after going through the, the wonderful process of the 10 days of penitence, of Rosh Hashanah, of Yom Kippur, we might have felt that we've really sort of, if we've done it right, aligned ourselves with God in some way. We've spent some time being more introspective. We've dedicated time to really examining our religious relationship and now we get a chance to almost like sit for seven days in the sukkah if we can think about it metaphorically but we can really palpably feel it together with god right and that's one of the reasons why i just really really love just being in my sukkah and spending as much time of the week as i can in the sukkah we're very fortunate here in israel um that many of us get vacation during this week and we can really we don't need to rush to work in the morning and come back late at night and you know, only meet our sukkah for, for, for dinner. Uh, we're able to really sit and spend the day here. And after the, the intense period of the high holy days, we then go into sukkah, sukkah, to our sukkah with a sense of joy, a joy of basking in the, in the light of God. So I hope this has given a sense of direction. And I'd just like to wish you all 
Achag Sameach, the parshiot, the, the Torah portions of Sukkot, mentioned twice, V'samachta Bechagecha, you should rejoice in your festival, V'hayita Ach Sameach, and you will be full of joy, and that's why we call it Zaman Simchatenu, because there is something p- particularly joyous in this festival, uh, especially coming after the high holy days, especially sort of like falling into God's arms, as I've sort of said it here. And I hope that we have the privilege and have the, the, the blessing of being able to actually feel some of that in our sukkah this year. Thank you very much. Thanks again for downloading this podcast, a production of Pardes North America. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast. You can follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem or by visiting elmod.pardes.org. Be sure to tune in next week as Rabbanit Nachama Goldman Beresh discusses Parashat Bereshit. Thanks for listening.